This is the Visionary Collective podcast, helping visionary, purpose-led entrepreneurs and leaders come together to activate their biggest visions and have the unshakable confidence to build a successful and fulfilling life and business that makes a difference in the world. I'm Lisa Mitchell, and I'll be sharing everything you need to create the foundations and growth to build your legacy. You know you are here to do something bigger as part of the Visionary Collective. So welcome to this episode, and I am delighted to have Julia Reynolds with me today, who is the founder of Ray House. She's been a retailer for over 35 years. She was the founder of the Florence and Fred brand at Tesco. She's run several businesses as CEO and latterly been a chairperson for a number of businesses too. And Julia started Ray House because she realized that mature women could not find clothes to fit properly, the quality was poor, and that many women had switched off from shopping and felt ignored by the industry. So I have known Julia for a number of years. We won't say how many because then it will make us feel really old, Julia. (laughs) But I know you're a disruptor right? You're a visionary and a disruptor. So I'm really delighted to have you on this podcast and to just talk about your latest enterprise and what it's disrupting in the world. Okay. Thank you for having me on. Well, I I think it was back, it was back sort of um, lockdown time. I've been a retailer all my life and started out as a, worked my way up from the bottom to be a buyer, et cetera, and moved on. So I understand how things are sourced, how things are marketed, how, yeah, and I'm talking about clothing. And during sort of lockdown, I'd got I'd sort of got a bit disillusioned with the industry, disillusioned who was sort of heading up the industry in lots of cases, lots of very autocratic men. And and so sort of a bit burnt out from it all, I suppose, really. And during lockdown, I started to look at clothing and where I could, you know, looking at clothes for myself and without paying a lot of money for things, I realised that there wasn't a lot of choice up there for me. So it got me talking to other people during lockdown. So I started having chats with friends when I could, you know, when I was getting my out for my daily walk or Zoom calling people. And um, I started to sort of just talk to women of my own age, some older, some younger, and got to hear their stories about how they felt about clothes and buying clothes. And then I sent out a questionnaire to my network after sort of gathering some of this data and going into people's wardrobes. I, I sent out a questionnaire and asked people to rank in order what were the most important things when they were looking at um, buying clothes. And what came back was it, it was what I thought it was, but it came back and it reaffirmed what I was trying to find out was that the fit of clothing is the number one problem that women over the age of 40 find. I've latterly gone on and found out it's not just women over the age of 40, it's lots and lots of other women. And um, the second thing was the quality, the quality of clothing. And, and having been in the industry all my life, I know why the quality has a diminished in clothing to, to to a greater or lesser extent because of price and trying to get things in your know, clothing has has become very cheap in the UK and globally. And the, the biggest shock of all, though, was the third thing, which I found really quite shocking. And I had experienced in some of my interviews, but it came across everywhere, was the impact that this had mentally on women. The self-esteem was on the floor. I had, you know, women were saying, well, I, I hate shopping. Oh, I, I hate it. I used to love it when I was young, but now I hate it. I don't like buying clothes. I don't like going in the shop, changing rooms. I get things delivered and most of it goes back and everything. What was the biggest shock was it was all negative rhetoric. So I actually then started to think that this is having an, having an impact on people's mental well-being. And you say, oh, well, mental well-being, it's really topical at the moment. 
everybody's talking about that. But this actually is. And then when I started to get the clothes made around what I thought would fit, I then had grown where I was doing workshops and focus groups in my in my sitting room, in my home. And it was when grown women started to cry. I had something on them and they'd, they'd, they'd say, this is the first time I've felt like this in a long time. And I've had, great, like I say, grown women crying in my sitting room. And I realized this was a huge problem. So then it's sort of, I established... Ray House on the back of this, and and Ray means it's the first three letters of my of my surname, but it also means king, and it's a genderless king, so it's not male or female. It's a genderless king, which which is something, as you know me, is quite close to my heart. That I just want to be treated equally. I just want to be just want to be me, and I want all women to you know to have equal opportunities. So that was fortuitous that it got called that. So that's why and where it, it got founded basically over those three three things fit quality and self-esteem mm. and you you sort of come out of the sort of hard end of retail if you like hadn't you being ceo and all of those things and been a chairperson and you know sort of stepped out a little bit and now it feels like you've put yourself back in the fray a bit so what made you was it was it that desire to make a difference what made you step in and think i want to create another business i was done with working for other people. I think I've always been slightly entrepreneurial. I, I'd sort of walked away from the business and perhaps was looking for something else to do because I was disillusioned. And and then I mm. you know, I realised that this is this is a huge, huge problem. And me being me, I'm always a I like to if I find a problem I, I like to i I'd like to try and solve it. And I sort of got got embroiled in it if you like it started off as oh let me just do a bit of research here and start looking at this and the what the whys into then it suddenly became this is a massive problem everyone I talk to is saying this is a huge problem and therefore mm. therefore I felt it almost like my calling I've got to fix this and the difference being is that you know because I'm doing it on my terms and I'm trying to do it with surrounding myself with the right people and do it in a slightly different way to perhaps how I've done other previous jobs. It, it's sort of, I don't feel like it's draining me. <laughs> so that, you know, when I was in retail, I, eventually I, I just got felt, I felt exhausted and drained by the whole thing and the, the politics and the, the, the whole sort of fact that it's, you know, it can be not a very nice industry to be in at times. And I, at least doing it this way, I'm doing it my way I'm not you know it's a problem that I've identified so I almost feel like I'm a campaigner out there now trying to talk about this problem rather than just creating a fashion brand and doing blah 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 like like you would normally do that's not what I'm trying to Mm. do here and it's interesting that so many people that I interview on this podcast have sort of been caught with an idea and gone, oh, hold on a minute, this is interesting. And then started doing some research and then the thing starts to almost have a life of its own. You know, it's not necessarily like, oh, I had this big vision and I created it. It's more like, actually, this is an issue. This is something that I can help with, with my experience. And obviously you've got a huge amount of experience in retail. You know how clothing works. You've been in and around that industry for a long time, haven't you? But it feels like it's the, the bigger impact on women and self-esteem and, you know, I mean, why wouldn't we have shopping be joyous for all of us, you know, no matter what age? Yeah, I think there's there's lots of things around, um, you know, some of the women I spoke to, most of the women I spoke to, you know, there was talk about, well, when you get into your 40s and 50s, you become invisible 
you're no longer noticed. You're no longer important. All fashion brands, irrespective of of what they try and do, you know, a model in the front, you know, on the on the advertising campaign with grey hair or something, it's sort of tokenism. But actually, they don't feel listened to. They don't feel like they're really listened to. And it was interesting because quite a number of people said, "Oh, you know, the role models that the that the that the retailers are putting in front of them, the celebrity role models." were a real turn-off. I mean, I don't want really, I shouldn't really mention names, but people like, you know, fantastic people who are, who've done very well in their field and are, d- are doing great things for menopause awareness, things like that. Like people like Davina McCall and um, Claudia Winkleman and all those sort of 50-something role models. But actually, they, most women switched off from that. They said, well, they're not, they don't look like me. They're not, I don't relate to them. My body shape isn't like theirs. I'm not in the gym seven days a week. I'm not. Um, so, so it could be actually, they actually started to sum up many of them were like, I resent that person being put in front of me. So the retailers are not really listening to me. It's not inclusive. They're not, they're not thinking about me. And when they, you know, obviously when they're fitting things, they're not fitting things on body shapes like mine. Yes. And there's one of the things I noticed when I was, when I was looking at the website was, was your diamond club which I really liked because it sort of, again, breaks down some stigmas about different body shapes, doesn't it? You know, so tell us about the Diamond Club and what that's trying to create. Well, this came about because we started looking at people say, oh, I'm pear shaped, I'm apple shaped. I've been to a, I've had my colours done and I've been to a stylist or something. I've been into, I don't know, whatever shopping experience. And they've told me I'm apple shaped. And and when I started to, this is going to sound a bit odd, I, I, when I started to um, look at women's shapes and when they were stripping off in front of me and I started to measure them as well, I realised that actually there were more than those apple-shaped, pear-shaped and, and um, hourglass-shaped. And and it was the ne- negative rhetoric that went along with that as well. It was really, you know, a piece of fruit. And so I, I started to, when I was looking at the shapes and I started to take measurements and gathering data on, on people... I realised that there was actually more than, say, three shapes, you know, or four shapes, the standard that everybody should be, the hourglass, the, you know, that people say everybody should be. And so I started to people into these sections saying, well, you're not really apple shaped because you've got really long legs and really slim shoulders and slim arms. You are perhaps a bit thicker around the waist than, than maybe you once were. So I, I developed the seven the seven shapes, the seven diamond shapes. And I wanted it to be positive things. And I and I felt that if you were diamonds, then that's a, that's got a positive, you know, it gives off a positive impression. Why shouldn't you be? You know, this is somebody that's, that's feeling really disengaged with fashion, disengaged with their bodies, you know, d- d- really not liking themselves very much, being ignored, not being listened to. Why, why would this be? This is a positive imagery if you are a diamond shape. And so we came up with the the seven diamonds, and we've trademarked that actually. So we've got that as a as a as a the seven shapes, so that that belongs to us. And we're we ask women now join our community, tell us which kind which shape you think you identify with, and then we can talk to you about clothes. And, and once we'd done this, once we'd identified these shapes, it was then easier for us to sort of have a look at the patterns and gradings and 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 the actual physical items of clothing that would fit onto these shapes and we 
you know, through friends and family and Zoe who works with me, we, um, we've got one of every shape basically in our repertoire or at least one. And we test, so we test things on people and unless a shape fits a good, you know, good four, at least four of the, of the diamond shapes, then we don't, we don't entertain it. In other words, and, and we actually put on the description, you know, this will suit all of our diamond shapes or one or two of them or which ones they are so that people, you know, there's a huge amount we can get onto it. There's a huge amount of, you know, the carbon footprint of the fashion industry is horrendous. And when you look at returns rates and things like that, and it's because that most things get returned because they don't fit. They don't look nice when someone's got them on because they're not made to fit that kind of body. And when and in the research I was doing, that was one of the things. So if we could get things to fit, we'd have fewer returns. And, we, and we've proved it with our own website. You know, our returns rates are, are under under 12% when their national average is over 50. Okay, we're, we're on a small scale, but, but that's the way we're heading. So it was the, so the diamond community, what happened, what happens is that we've had, it, people get really engaged in it. They go, oh my God, which, which kind of shape am I? And this is where the interesting, uh, where, where the whole talking about having an idea and taking it forward, that what's happened from that is, you know, I'm asking people, what shape do you think you are? How accurate is that information? I don't know. Blast me and I tell them because I can I, I know because I you know I, I've invented it but how accurate is that and that's when we um, started talking to a data scientist because I wanted to be able to make the data more robust and because and everything now is about artificial intelligence and gathering data and big data I really felt that this was the way the fashion industry should be going in order to make it more sustainable to reduce you know, to reduce landfill, to reduce returns rates, to reduce things sitting in, you know, 80% of what sits in people's wardrobes are never worn. And if we could create items that truly, truly did reflect the silhouette of the population, the silhouettes of the population, then we could reduce all these things, you know, looking at, at it from the other end of the telescope. Whereas if you think most retailers are looking at, oh, how do I get recycled materials how do i reduce the packaging waste how do i reduce the carbon footprint in you know air miles and all those sort of things i thought well hang on a minute i'm trying to look at this from a different the different end of the spectrum the uh, the other end of the the telescope saying well if i'm going to get somebody to buy something it needs to be really good quality it needs to last and it needs to fit therefore automatically people will be buying less which goes less to landfill, less less air miles. You know, a lot of these are sort of, there's a lot of greenwashing going on. When I started to dig and, you know, me being who I'm being and who I am and, and the experience I have, there's so many people being taken in by, by false information about what's really going on in the fashion industry and what is sustainable and what's not. And I started to think about, like, oh, that's a minefield and I know most of it is absolute rubbish. So let me, you know, I, I'm not looking at it from that angle. I'm trying to reduce what's in people's wardrobes and make it and take it, you know, almost back to suppose where to my mother's time where she had beautifully fitting clothes that lasted. And that doesn't mean so you can't engage with fashion and change colours and move on and, and buy things seasonally. 
But I mean, from a personal point of view, we've we've been we've got a particular fabric that which I can talk to you about later. But it, it, we've put it into a leisure suit. I spied that leisure um, suit. <laughs> I wear it nearly every day. It's just I can talk to you about it. Is I wear it every day. It goes in the washing machine, in the tumble dry, it comes out. And we have customers saying that saying I live in this stuff because it's good quality. It's got graphene in it, which is almost indestructible. It's got thermal regulating qualities. And so people don't get too hot. To get, it's great for, I mean, I've just flown back from my holiday and wore it on the flight and it's, you don't get too hot, hot, you don't get too cold. It's really comfortable and it goes in the tumble dryer and it, it's things like that. So making, because that's, it's not just about the fit, the quality and the, um, and the self-esteem that it has on it. I think a lot of it starts with, with the fabric. If you've got the right fabric in the right, in the right place. And so that's something else that we've, you know, me with my scatty, my scatterbrain going off on a tangent. But so we, we've got this community now and we've also got a, um, a, a chat group as well on, on social media called House Chat. And people come on there and they comment about, oh God, I find it really hard to, to find trousers to fit or dresses or, or whatever. And we're gathering more and more data. But going back to the data scientist that I met, and he said to me, I love what you're doing with your seven diamond shapes. And I said, yeah, it's all very well, but it's quite a lot of it's anecdotal. It's people just telling me what they think they are. I would actually like to use big data and proof it. So we're now, the business has slightly taken a different angle, which for me, as somebody who's and loves good ideas and is much more interesting because I now I, I instead of talking about creating a brand of clothing that that can fit mature women I, I'm now you know I'm now really on this journey of actually we, we could disrupt the whole market with this because using big data and I know how patterns are graded and cut styles are, are done and designed and you know that every retailer has their own set of body blocks etc but actually this could throw all of that into the air by physically using the data by physically. Now, lots of people have scanned bodies. It's, you know, there's scanning bodies all, the, all over the place. There's scanning bodies in in some retailers. There's There was a big, the last huge piece of work done in the UK was actually done in 2010. And they can't use any of the data because of GDPR. There are, the Clark's shoes are doing stuff on scanning feet. There's a lot going on, but this is a slightly different approach to it. It's not about customising clothes, yeah, because that's not that's not ecologically friendly, and it's it's too difficult to do, and it will never be. And until three D printing really, really comes to the forefront, it's never go, it's never gonna um, work. Probably not in my lifetime. I don't know. Maybe wrong. Yeah, and you know, it's so interesting, isn't it? How I mean, I think this is part of the the way businesses need to be now is they need to be able to pivot, right? So you start off with a kind of like, I'm going to create this clothing and and help these women feel good about themselves and all the rest of it. And as you follow the journey, you hit upon something that actually has such big ramifications that the whole business is kind of pivoting around that angle, isn't it? You're looking for the impact, really. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, I knew, as I say, I knew it was a problem, knew it was a big problem, didn't realise it was such a, a really, really big problem. And then well, with technology the way it is and the way it's going, we must be able to gather data that's more robust and that, that 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 can help sort this problem out. And what's interesting is the big retailers aren't engaging with it. I know why they're not. I, I know exactly why they're not. It's too difficult. You haven't got the left hand talking to the right. It 
could work out as being a distraction. You know, all mm. of these retailers, particularly in the current climate, are all just trying to make ends meet and stay alive and stay funded and, you know, have, you know, got cash flow issues. I mean, you look at the problems in John Lewis, you, you know, it's global. Every day you cut the paper and there's another business that's either gone into administration or has been bought out. So I understand why they're not doing it. But I also, and I also think many of them are, are trying hard to look at the, the reasons, you know, to solve some of the problems, like why returns rates are so high for e-commerce businesses. Mm. I do honestly believe that they're not looking at it from the right angle. And I can say that as someone who stood back from the industry, looking at it from the outside, looking in now. And I do think that the, the two things need to connect, you know, you, the data science and the, the data needs to be embraced by the, the commercial mm. teams in these organizations. But I'm not sure they know how to, how to work together or how to actually take it, how to simplify it. And sometimes you have to be on the outside to see, you know, the wood for the trees, don't you? Do you know what I mean? As you say, if you're in a retailer and you're just trying to hit your sales targets and you're, you know, plugging through these collections, you don't ha exactly have the brain space that you've got standing on the outside. So sometimes it does take that outside perspective, doesn't it, to say, I know you do this anyway, because I know you, but, you know, say, well, hold on a minute. Why are we doing it that way? Why don't, like, that doesn't make any sense. There must be another way, a better way of doing it, you know? So I think that's your natural skill set anyway, isn't it? But Absolutely. But there's been, I mean, God, this may sound a bit arrogant, but there's been times where I just thought, God, if I, if I was now sitting in a big job in one of the big retailers, this would be top of my agenda. But I'm not, and I'm not likely to ever be because I don't think anyone would have me back or what, or, you know, or I don't know. But I don't want to be there. But if I do think, oh God, this this journey would be a lot easier if I if I was still, for example, at Tesco, you know, mm, in the mm. clothing department, this I would be making this a priority because it, I, to me, it's it it's fundamental, and it will, it, it could dramatically it could save money it could save landfill it could save i mean it, it, it's it's huge it's absolutely huge and we were saying earlier weren't we that one of the challenges of having an idea like this is you're way ahead of most people so the the way you're thinking about it you almost have to bring people around to really understand what you're saying you know that this isn't just a clothing retailer it's about disrupting something it's about sustainability it's about self-esteem it has many different aspects to it but I know as visionaries sometimes that's the tricky bit isn't it is getting people ex being able to explain it in a way that people can get on board with yeah it's I've spent my life sort of having this feeling that I'm talking another language you know that that I find myself am I speaking gobbledygook to you because it's what's obvious to me isn't obvious to many people around. So when I do find somebody that goes, yeah, I get what you're talking about. Yeah, you're right. I, I sort of gravitate towards them. Unfortunately, they're often not the people, the decision makers for fundraising or, 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 or you know, influencing in some other way. They are people that are, that, that, that get it the way I do. And that's the frustration, actually. That is the frustration is many people do get what I'm talking about, but I but I am still struggling to um, articulate that to, to decision makers, people that can mm. open doors for me in terms of funding, financing. Um, I do find that very, that's, that's very challenging. 
So, so what I've tried to do to, to counterbalance that, because that is a problem yes. and that always will be a problem, is to generate the facts. Here's the facts. Here's the, and fortunately, you know, I've, I've got Kantar, the research company, have been absolutely brilliant and given me some facts. I've got facts because I've gathered data now. I've got facts. I've, I've got physical data. And I've got enough people who I can, you know, into my, into, onto my advisory board that, you know, engineers, data scientists, mm. research companies, et cetera, that are backing me with, with the facts and I'm hoping that um, the more I can get that, the more yes. fact, the more I can prove the concept, the easier it will get. So is this kind of like um, this next evolution is kind of retailer to campaigner for you? You know, it's bigger than retail, right? Yeah, it is. It's um, yeah, it is. So what we've so the 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 brand is sort of branched. It's got two two branches now. One is the actual physical clothing and support for the demographic, which is which we are using as a test gra- a test bed an experimental test bed unfortunately we've got everything there all geared up for that and then the second part is mm. is building the software for the date around the data um to prove that that then then we could then take that out there and say to retailers look you know we've got all the research here and what's really interesting about it is the more we talk about it outside we we are targeting mature Generation X women, but actually, the more I talk about it, that there's other groups come back and go. Well, that applies to men. That applies to children. That applies to younger women. That applies to younger men. Men that go down the gym. So, so you take this data, and if you gather the data with the software program that we're we're building, is it can be can be used in any democratic you then take it overseas you do it in a you know for a different ethnicity you do it for um you know completely different country somewhere else it mm-hmm. hopefully then the data can then be used and, and, and it's all around big data and using the big data to really define what is happening on our planet body shapes mm, isn't that fascinating yeah and you could divide it by postcode by age you know you could take you could take a demographic one. You could take a somebody. A, you know, you could say, "Oh, everybody born in 1974. This is, the, you know, this has been their diet over the years, and this is their body shape from that." Or you know, and try and find the common themes, common commonalities for that. And where else could that lead? I mean, we know there's been work done. What was really poignant was um, during lockdown and the the PPE, the 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 clothing. And um, that was being brought in for the medics, everyone working in the NHS, etc. And there were so many complaints. And that this has been across the board with all sorts of things. If you think about um, power tools, things like that, they're all designed by men for men. So you pick up a power tool with a female hand, it's really hard to manage it. I mean, I, I have this particular problem because I'm left-handed and it was only when someone bought me a, a left-handed pair of scissors that I and a, and a left-handed bottle opener that I suddenly realised, oh my God, I've been struggling for all these years. And with PPE, they, they discovered, you know, a lot of people working for the NHS are, are women mm-hmm. and they are petite and they were being asked to put on these great big gowns and masks and things like that that were built for men, for, built for men of five foot ten, six foot, and it didn't fit and they were struggling with it. And it sort of, and, and the uh, Manchester University was was in, engaged to do a project with them on, on that find of getting PPE to fit. So so with, with this software and gathering this data, how, how big could this be? And as big data becomes more important and 
you can do more with it. Imagine the waste that you could cut out just by reading the correct data rather than making assumptions. Yes, yes. And, and, and that, you know, as you say, it's not, it, I guess it starts where you are. It starts in your demographic, right? But then when you start to factor that out, do you realize how different everybody is? You know, and that's been one of the challenges in the industry, isn't it? Is how do you personalize without actually creating more waste or, you know, make it overcomplicated? Well, and that's the point. So my argument is if you get the blocks right, so say you, you've got you've got all this big data and you, you have all these different shapes, but you don't want to suddenly make all these different shapes in all the different clothing and all the different sizes. What, how do you design clothes mm-hmm. that fit the majority of those shapes? And Mm. I'm quite clear that quite a lot of that can be done through fabric, with fabric development. And I don't think there's enough being used. A lot of good fabric development goes straight to the sports industries. The sports brands get all the good stuff that's going on. And if they choose not to engage with that fabric development or that fabric, often that stuff gets to one side and may never be seen the light of day for years to come. I mean, this is what's happened with this graphene fabric that we're using. It was introduced in the sports industry and they're using it. But as we all know, until Sweaty Betty and Lululemon came about, most sports clothing has been geared towards men, for men, by men. And, you know, if you took this fabric that we've got, graphene, I mean, it's far too soft. A, a sports a sports brand would look at it and go, oh, that's too feminine. It's too, it's not good enough for our rugged menswear range or whatever. Mm. And we've taken it on going, well, that's brilliant. That's perfect for us. It's perfect for women in their, you know, in the age of four, for stylish comfort, thermally regulating. So I, I think there's a, if you can get the fabrics right, you can, you can then work on the blocks and the, there's a lot can be done. But it, is, it means the industry's got to change. The industry has to change the way it's viewing things. Uh, there's a lot of um, bro- there's a lot of parochial things going on. People, um, businesses keep you know they keep their data. They keep their oh this is our fabric and we can't, no one else can use it. There's a lot of that goes on. It always has gone on. That needs to change. People need to be much more generous with information and um, and, and and share stuff in order to help save the planet. Yeah, yeah. And and I love I'm loving hearing you talk about this, Julia, because you know your passion and your not just enthusiasm, but it's stimulating you, isn't it? You know, it's kind of like oh my god, and then think what you could do with that, and it could go here and it could go there. It, you know, it's one of those ideas that has so many angles and so many legs to create change, doesn't it? You know, it's almost like it's just the platform or the foundation to create change. Oh, it's the every day. Absolutely. You know, there was me a few years ago, completely disillusioned with the industry, completely disillusioned with the way things were being done and, and whatever. So decided to walk away, thought, all oh, right, I'll go and retire and, you know, take my dog for a walk in the countryside and then came across this problem. And it's really given me a second, a second life, you know, and, and I'm so engrossed in it now. It's all, it is, it's all consuming. People say to me, well, you know, how much time are you spending on this? It's every minute of every day that, you know, that's, and the, I just I sort of get a bit overwhelmed by the by the potential, and I just got to get myself out there talking to the right people who believe in it, who that who can help us fund it because yeah, it's epic. It really could be a really really big thing, 
and my yeah my enthusiasm it, it's in, it's reinvigorated me it's it's and I'm sure it's one of those things that people say oh, you know you keep working yeah, keep absolutely. learning and it it will keep me alive a bit longer probably but I'd certainly like to give something back to the industry and um, and I, and like I say it's less about a clothing brand it's more about changing the way we think about things and if you know, if we, we've got this whole demographic that's being ignored, you know, what other what other challenges are there with other demographics? And yeah, I think there's going to be more and more people doing things that are aggravating different markets. You know, people like you've got a lot of experience, don't necessarily want to go into a big CEO job or whatever, but actually have so much experience and so much knowledge to bring, and helping industries come together to work collaboratively to create change because that's what it's about, isn't it? Really rather than protecting my own, you know? It's really interesting what you said there. About six years ago, I, I've i got a niece who's got an end. She's a mechanical engineer, really bright person. And um, her and I talk occasionally, you know, we talk. And I kept saying, I don't understand why all industries working in silos. And um, it, it, there's lots of good things going on, whether it be with technology, data, mm. innovative ways of working with materials, 3D, you know, all those sort of things. But it just feels the left hand's not talking to the right. And uh, so I, I just did as a, a little bit of a, an interesting project. I pulled together some different people from some different industries to talk about, could we bring clothing manufacturing back to the UK to help sustainability, to help you know, cut back on air miles, reduce waste, etc. And I got people from the car industry, she was um, doing her PhD at the time. We got people from her industry, from the university, mm. and we all got together in a forum. And it was so interesting. I got I got people from someone who was manufacturing socks, you know, different from from different industries to start talking about what could we do collectively. And it, it struck me how powerful that is. You know, the how powerful if you just cross the cross fertilization of technology and skills and ideas. How. And it really, I get really disappointed with, and it's not just the UK, it's global, really disappointed. And, and recently I've been, we've been engaging with Manchester University, City M and Metropolitan. And they were talking to me about um, how hard they find it to engage with industry and how to get everybody form, you know, coming together. They're better, they're better. They said they feel better engaged with manufacturing, but not with for example, retailing. Yes, absolutely. But it's the whole supply chain, that the value chain that needs to come together. And I think that's it. The government are doing, you know, there's lots, they're, they're making available grants and lots of ideas and things like that. Mm. But I do think that if the, the government can help with that and, and really make cut down barriers and, and yeah. you're almost not... And almost force people to talk rather than encourage them, force people to talk and, and engage. And I, I, there's so much potential there, huge potential. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and as you say, you know, when I work with founders of companies, they're, all, they're often so busy doing their thing that it's hard to create the time and space to look outside, right? And to engage with that person over there who isn't the obvious person to engage with. But I also think it's really important for people like you that are visionary and creating something different to be around other people who are visionary and creating something different you know versus talking to people that say what what is it is it a clothing brand is it you know and for you it's not one box right so 
I feel like th- that's one of the reasons why I set up this podcast is to hear other visionary voices. Like, oh God, there's other people like me out in the world that are doing different things. Like, what if this was the norm? These conversations and this collaboration and working together was the norm. You know, imagine what we could create then. Yeah, it, absolutely. And I think it's you know all the work that I know you've I've worked with you on before. You know, things like um, psychometric profiling and you know, it's how important it is for everybody, everybody's way of thinking to be included. You know, not just, you know, I worked in an organisation where a particular type of psychometric profiling was, was you know, was held court and, and was revered and felt, and at the time felt frustrated because I was thinking, well, you know, I'm an ideas person and you're not listening to me because you're just steamrollering over everything. And one of the reasons I left that organisation because because I didn't feel like my my skills were being my talents and skills and ways of thinking were being uh, acknowledged and it it is that I mean I I'm certainly what I've learned over the years and from working with people like you is that you have to have every kind of thinking in an organisation and everybody has to have a voice and everybody it, it, and you need to be able to engage with all those types of thinking that, you know, if you've got a visionary, listen to that visionary because that will be the future. Listen to your person who's looking at the spreadsheet and going into the minutiae detail um, because that's the person that will be holding the purse strings and making sure that you're you're investing correctly or, or spending your money wisely um, and making sure you're taking people with you and making, and all of those things are, are really, really important. And I think there needs to be more of that. So, I've loved talking to you today, Julia, and hearing this big vision that you have. And I hope that in coming on and sharing your vision today, that other people hear it and get inspired by it too. And that it opens up other avenues for collaboration and other visionaries to come and work with you on this project too. Because the more people that work together, the faster we solve these big problems, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, just it's finding like-minded people. And yeah, I know I, the, the funny thing is people say to me, and I, you know, well, are you sure about this? Like, I've never been so sure about anything in my life. I know there's a problem and I know how to, I know what the solution needs to be. I just need help doing it. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Julia. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and um, we look forward to speaking in the future. All right then. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Visionary Collective Podcast with Lisa Mitchell. If you want to be part of this exciting, bigger movement, come and join other amazing visionary purpose-led entrepreneurs in my free Facebook group, The Visionary Collective.